Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. HIV Hope and Charity is a podcast series brought to you by TVPS, a Berkshire-based charity that's been supporting people affected by HIV since 1985. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess, and we work for TVPS. And our mission is to give people affected by HIV a voice. If you'd like to know more about the work we do, visit our website, tvps.org.uk. Welcome to HIV Hope and Charity. Hi, Jess. Hi. Now, I know that our episode today is very moving. Oh, Not it's, yeah. That, it certainly gives a different perspective on HIV in the 80s. And I know this week you have been very busy with your research. Tell me what you've been up to. I have, I have. You're right. So it's a fantastic. So it's the second in our three episodes. Obviously, we spoke to the lovely Mark last week. Um, and that was a great episode, wasn't it? It was. He's yeah. the, just amazing. It really is. Um, and actually it got me thinking, there are so many other HIV podcasts out there now. So when we started, I mean, in October 2018, wasn't it? So quite a while ago. There are so many HIV podcasts out there now. We actually just wanted to give a load of them a shout out. If you want to go and listen to other podcasts around HIV. So there's Talking Stigma with Gareth Thomas. There's the LGBT Plus podcast, and that is hosted by Chris O'Hanlon. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Positively Thriving, and that's hosted by Tom Hayes, who also, like, you might have heard of him as Positive Lad. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So yes. he's one of the hosts on there. Yeah, there's lots of different hosts, and he's one of them. There's the HIV Hour, which has been going for a long time on Radio Reverb, but they've put that into a podcast kind of format. Um, and there's Tell Me About It, which is another HIV podcast. So there's tons now. So we will put all the links to all of these podcasts so you can go and find them and have a listen. But I'm just so pleased that there's so much out there now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the more people talk about HIV, the better. Podcasts are very now, aren't they? I mean, they're really convenient to listen to. So this is awesome. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I'm so, so pleased. So please do go and check these out because they're really fantastic. But yes, let us uh, get on with today's podcast. Right. So today we are really, really excited. We're really pleased. We've got a fantastic volunteer of ours, Rich. He's joining us. Um, 
HIV has affected Rich's life in many ways. And following on from our last episode, where we talked all things HIV and it's a sin with Mark. This week, we're still going to be talking about HIV around the some of the 80s and the 90s. But we're looking at how other people were affected that weren't necessarily included in the show. So welcome, Rich. Morning. Thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Oh, I always forget to do the clap. I was a bit late. It's just me. I feel like I shouldn't. It's just me just clapping. Clapping's good. I like the clapping. (laughs) A little applause for you. Oh, so were you? I know that you watched It's a Sin, Rich. Oh, it was amazing, wasn't it? It was brilliant. It was really good. So well done. So powerfully done. And I love the fact that that character, I forgot her name now, the the girl. Oh, uh, Jill. Jill. I love the fact that the original Jill, the real life Jill, appears in the programme as well. Yes, it's mother. her mother, isn't it? Yes, yeah. I only found I that out afterwards. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And I've heard her being interviewed afterwards. And what an amazing woman. She reminds me too of people that I knew back then who were you know, um, supporters and advocates for HIV at a time when it was not, not a widely accepted thing to do. Okay. You know, the courage is amazing. Absolutely. Yes, I'm glad there were people like her. So am I at the time now your situation the way you've been affected by hiv wasn't portrayed in it's a sin which is why we thought it would be interesting to talk to you because hiv didn't just affect kind of men who had sex with men back then did it my wife well she was diagnosed with hiv in it must have been 1994 and we were living abroad at the time and she was diagnosed. It was part of routine pregnancy tests when we hmm. found out that she was pregnant with our first child, which was a bit shit, really. You know, congratulations, you're pregnant. And by the way, we needed to do the HIV test again. At the time, this was quite rare, wasn't it? There weren't that many women being diagnosed. The media focus was on men hmm. uh, and on gay men. Um, to a lesser degree, it was on prostitutes and drug users but yes it was quite rare and we didn't expect it and we were living abroad like I say in a country where their knowledge was less less advanced than it was in the UK certainly. So what went through your head at the time? Uh, Terror, Mm. absolute terror because I knew enough about it to know that it was a death sentence you know I, I knew that I knew enough to know that there was no there was no cure again it it was so badly done in terms of sort of meeting medical protocols nowadays. So they told me, not her. I then chose not to tell her what they were doing the blood test for. Um, and then I had to wait for a couple of weeks for the results to come through. Um, and again, they rang me, not her. So it was me who told her. I mean, that can't have uh, been easy. Normally it's a medical professional that gives... Yeah. That diagnosis, isn't it? So for you to be giving that to your wife. Yeah. No, horrendous. Yeah. It, it, it was the most awful time, yeah. It makes me so sad to think that, you know, one of the kind of happiest milestones in your life, in your relationship, you're having to deal with this and that you're the one that had to break the news to your wife. I mean, yeah, your well, kind of courage in doing that is, is amazing. I didn't have a choice, Mm. so I I coped. I got on with it. Um, So I'm not sure if that's courage or if that's just doing what most people do, which is getting on with it. But, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't have been how things were done if we'd been living in the UK. 
protocols here were much advanced and different times. Very different. Um, and yes, you're right. I think if it had been in the UK, it might have been handled slightly differently. Well, it would have been. It would have been, yeah. So from there, so your wife's going through your pregnancy, you're both coming to terms with her HIV diagnosis. Yeah. On the cusp of medication being available um and the, the clinical trials were happening in the uk but I'm, I'm not sure how south america would compare to that well we we came back to the uk a couple of years later so son was born daniel was born and we came back to the uk when he was about a year and a half it was soon after that that she became ill for the first time so mm. she sort of became ill 95 no, it was sooner. I, I said 94, I think, that she was diagnosed. Mm, yeah. It wasn't at all. It was 91. Sorry, he was right, born okay. in 92. So she would have been come ill for the first time probably in about 94. And, yeah, medication was there was, but it wasn't life-saving medication and it wasn't a, a single pill a day medication either. She was on about 35 just ridiculous numbers of tablets. Mm. That is crazy. 30, I mean, crikey, 35. Mm. You just think, how do you physically do that? How does a person do? Do you know what I mean? Every day, all of this following of the that can't be easy. No, it's not. And um, if you go back to it's a sin, they they do show him popping pill after pill after pill. It's not easy. Um, you know, um, with a bit of paper with a bit of a timetable because, of course, you don't have them all at the same time. You have some in the morning and some in the evening, and then you have some of them are once a day and some of them are twice a day, and then something else is three times a day. And during this time. You've had your son, and he was diagnosed with HIV as well, wasn't he? Yeah, we didn't know for sure whether he was going to be positive or not. Mm. Um, So in South America, when we were there, they'd encouraged us to have a termination because their understanding was that more likely than not, he would be born positive. Advice from people here was much different. It was sort of a one in seven chance that they gave us of him being born positive we didn't want to terminate so there was no way of knowing if he was positive or not until he was about 18 months old um when they told us that he was also HIV positive and again are you kind of going into survival mode and being strong for the rest of the but for your wife or for yourself yeah yeah absolutely I was I was I was very you know walls were up boundaries were all around I was in action mode um, it was all about doing things and and keeping keeping everything kind of boxed and in order and yeah just being a man yes but keeping your family <laughs> I was not in touch with my feelings at the time <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and did you did you have anybody to talk to or, or, or to offload to we had our own jill who who helped us um so she was actually the secretary of the sexual health consultant who Millie was being looked after and she lived in the same village as we did and she'd asked her boss if she could buddy Millie um, because it kind of breached the boundaries really for her to to, yeah. to do that um, but she knew that Millie was alone she was American and she was living in the UK she didn't have family around um, she knew that Millie was on her own and she wanted to to help us so she got agreement to do that. Um, she was our Jill. Um, and whilst I was being action man, she was very carefully putting all the building blocks in place for me so that mm. we had 
support around. Um, and when I finally woke up and opened my eyes and realised that there were four or five women who were coming in and they were providing care, they were, she got a cleaner for us who was an HIV buddy. Um, she'd got social workers involved to help with looking after Daniel. Um, she'd found somebody else in the village who she'd noticed was wearing a red ribbon and she'd approached her and she introduced us to them and I had no idea. And so she put all of these people in place for us. She was amazing. I'm glad. I'm glad you had your own Jill. She sounds an amazing woman, actually. Yeah. They were all amazing. They were all amazing. Yeah. Was it all women? It was. It was. She did introduce me. When, when I finally woke up, which was a bit dramatic, uh, I had a you know a bit of a meltdown when I finally admitted to people what was going on. Because nobody where I was working, nobody at work knew. There was a big secret from them all there. And when I finally kind of had my little meltdown and started to want to talk to people about it, she found somebody for me to speak to. And he was a man. But no, the others were all women, as it happens. Which is probably nice for Millie. She's got like a little support network. Oh, yeah, they were, yes. Yeah, yeah, they were amazing. They really were. And I'm glad you had someone to talk to as well. And the importance of wearing the red ribbon. I love that she had seen someone wearing the ribbon and went to speak to them, so... Yeah, and and this this lady's brother had died of AIDS a year or two before, so she had her own personal experience. That was what brought her um, into the fold. And did you, I mean, it was obviously a conscious decision not to talk to other people, not to disclose at work, because, is, was that because of the stigma around HIV? Was it just because you're yeah. quite a private person? No, no, it was the stigma. Um, it was the stigma and it was the unknown of how people would react. So Daniel was about to go to nursery school. So if people knew that she was HIV positive, well, in fact, if people knew that she had AIDS, you know, mm. would they stop him going to nursery school? Would they stop their children playing with him? What would happen if he fell over in the playground and cracked his head open? Absolutely terrified as to how other people might react. That's very common, isn't it, Jess? We've heard that from lots, lots of people who throughout the 80s and 90s just lived a, a life of secrecy really mm. and beyond uh, i know i have heard of people today who still live with the same fear found out yeah we have and that's why having volunteers like you rich and people that can really relate to some of our service users and offer a safe place because some of our service users are open as we know some they haven't told anyone so mm. we are one place where they can come and just have a normal chat about anything without that fear of I, I can't slip up I have to always keep this secret and hold this burden so I think centres like this are so essential across the UK because I think that is it. I think it's still quite hidden a lot of the worry that people have it's easy isn't it to see people who are openly positive and it's fantastic they're such amazing role models but there's also a lot of people who are still really fearful about disclosing yeah. to anyone. Yeah, and I've, I've heard some really, really sad stories that have not ended well, and they are modern-day stories rather than stories from the 90s. It's awful. It is awful. I think It's a Sin has helped it become a more, an easier topic perhaps to discuss. And it is, I mean, generally, it, it is so much more open, isn't it, and much more discussed than it was back then, and mustn't belittle the progress that's been made because it's... It's remarkable, as is the medical progress. You're going from Millie, who was on 37 pills a day or whatever it was, to you know effective treatment now, which will prolong your life 
your normal life, um, you know, one pill once a day. It's incredible how it's moved on. And it is incredible how much more open society's attitudes towards HIV are as they are to gays and lesbians generally and to alternative lifestyles generally. But there are still some really, really awful stories of prejudice and, and ill treatment. Well, that's ironically, it's why we started our podcast series, um, because we had an awful lot of service users who wanted to share their stories and have a voice, share their experiences, but they didn't necessarily want to have to waive their anonymity to do that. Mm. So we were like, well, a podcast, you're just listening to it. It's just someone's voice. So that's why we initially started doing a podcast rather than videos and things like that, because it meant that our service users could come, chat to us, share, but also they don't have to give up that anonymity and why should they if they don't want to Mm. absolutely Mm. yeah that's why I think it's so important isn't it so if we go back to kind of kind of your story Daniel goes to nursery and and goes to school you've got your support network there for you and for Millie yep but Millie uh wasn't well was she I mean that medication didn't work for long again you saw in it's a sin you saw the the program you know it's on Mm. medication it didn't keep people alive it addressed some of the symptoms so you know she had pneumonia she'd had um ulcers down her throat she'd had all sorts of other aids defining illnesses and, and the medication dealt with those but it didn't suppress the virus and it if it did it didn't do it for very long mm. um you know azt was reckoned to have a sort of a useful life of about a year at the time so yeah, she she got progressively more and more ill. Every time she got ill, she got weaker and more frail. And she died in 1997 when he was five. You, you can't ever begin to believe that you are worse off than anybody else. We we used to take Daniel up to Great Ormond Street for monitoring and checks um and you only need to do that once to look at other children going into that hospital with some of the conditions that they are living with to realize that there are so many other people out there who are dealing with far worse things than even you are things in perspective yeah i'm sure that does actually how 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 is daniel now (laughs) 29 years old yes living in the states in love and very happy he is on medication and that medication is expected to keep him fit and well for a normal lifespan. That's, that's yeah. what people are, are expected to live with nowadays. If you're lucky enough to live in a country like ours where the medication is, is available, um, it's not the case all over the world, but we are really lucky to have that medication. And yeah, so he's doing, he's doing well. I didn't, we didn't tell him for quite a long time why he was going to the hospital for checkups. Right. So he was about 12, I think, when I finally told him. But like most children, I mean, he knew something was up. He knew that his mates didn't all traipse up to London to go to Great Ormond Street for a checkup every four or six months. So he knew something was up. Um, and I think he was secretly quite pleased to be able to talk about it. Mm. Um, even if it's not great news, necessarily. And then we were still keeping it secret. I remarried by this stage, and we had two two daughters, so he's got two sisters. 
Uh, and it wasn't just concern for him and what would people say to him at school, but it was also, you know, what if people don't want their children playing with his sisters? So we were still keeping it secret. Well, we didn't use the word secret. We used the word confidential to him and we weren't telling people. And then he was the one who wanted to tell people. He came to us and at one stage he wanted to stand up at school on World AIDS Day and do a, an assembly at school, do a presentation to the school. But the headmaster wasn't comfortable with that, so that didn't happen. And then he came to us and he wanted to make a film because he was getting into filmmaking, which is what he does now. And he wanted to make a, a film. It was going to be like a 10-minute YouTube clip and he was going to tell people and then press the button and put it out on YouTube. And that ended up becoming a sort of a one-hour, 20-minute long documentary film which we screened to about 200 people in London friends and family some of whom knew there are a few people who knew but most people there didn't know and he stood on stage introduced the film and that was how he chose to disclose to people I think that's so brave and fantastic it's it's you know it's really owning it isn't it and just I'm going to do this my way yeah he absolutely did he absolutely did. And we supported him to do it. And we were very supportive. And it was bloody hard. It was really, really hard thing to do. And it brought all sorts of emotions to the fore for all of us because we had to tell his sisters. There were things for my wife to deal with. And she obviously had to hear the story of, you know, Millie and Daniel's mum and how that had all come around. It was, um, it was a difficult thing to do. Uh, well it it was one of the most amazing nights of my life and it's an amazing film I have to say we've actually seen it you were kind enough to show it to us and it was oh so moving and just honest and I was gonna say different to any way I've I've ever heard of someone disclosing (laughs) it's not yes not normal (laughs) I mean to have that whole theatre and to because um, that's in part of the film isn't it they film some of that where he's actually screening they, it. Yeah, yeah they, filmed the, they filmed the screening so that the final version then is able to show the reaction in the room on the night. They also spoke to us subsequently about the response that we'd had to it afterwards. Because um, we did go from, this was something we didn't talk about to all of a sudden this was the only thing anybody was talking about. That must be quite odd as well, especially because for so long, like you were saying, you'd kept it confidential. So for so long, it's just a small bubble that knows, and now it's just released and everyone wants to talk about it. And the immediate, yeah, the, the immediate days afterwards were incredible. I mean, the messages of support that we got through were fantastic, phenomenal, really emotional. The weight off our shoulders was huge, and, like, everybody knew. And, the, you know, the people that weren't there found out the next morning because he put a Facebook thing out with a link so then he got something like twenty six thousand likes in 24 hours i mean something absurd ridiculous it just went yeah mad um and we were really really lucky we did not have a single incident of anybody being other than full of love and support we didn't have any abuse we didn't have any negative feedback at all which in itself became a little bit dangerous. I became a bit complacent. So in the months afterwards, 
I was beginning to think there was no reason we should ever have kept it quiet and why hadn't we been much more open before and what was there to worry about and he did a couple of yeah he did he, he was invited to speak on World AIDS Day the following year on it was um what's his name was it Jeremy Vine no it wasn't Jeremy Vine it was Matthew Wright oh, okay. Matthew Wright. and then it was and then from there he went into the new studios and he did news and then he um, spoke again subsequently. So he did some of those and he was interviewed for a student newspaper with another young lad. And this is where I had to remember that life is not the same for everybody. So, you know, we're very lucky. We are, we're well off. We're white, middle-class, well-educated, heterosexual means nothing, but they are the facts. That is what Daniel is. Um, And he was interviewed with another young lad who was, gay who'd been diagnosed as positive and his experience was horrendous so his boyfriend had chucked him out his parents had disowned him he'd lost his job he'd got beaten up and if ever I needed a reminder that you know we were lucky and it wasn't the same for everybody else there it was so yeah there is still some really really awful treatment of people out there but nonetheless I wouldn't change anything about how we did it we, we thought about it long and hard we planned it we knew the message we wanted to get across and how we were going to do it. And for us, it went really, really well. Mm. And we now live our lives talking openly. And once you get me started, I find it quite hard to stop talking about it. <laughs> um, because I think it's really, really important. Definitely. I think it is. I think sharing your story is really important. Yeah. And everything you've been through and the, and the way you've handled it as a family and the way he disclosed which i mean yes you said we've watched watched the film it's very moving isn't it it and is shows what yeah. a family you got what what started out as a film about him disclosing developed so we did it with a couple of mates of his who are filmmakers and they brought all their creative skills to bear and what started out as a simple message of him standing up saying and reading a statement effectively became this sort of full feature-length documentary that was a sort of story of story of our experience um, yeah. going right back to when, well, before I'd even met Millie. Yeah. And then the process of you know, meeting her and all the way through to the present day. It's a really good watch. What do you think, how would Millie feel? Oh, she would be incredibly proud of him because... Most parents, you know, are full of pride for their children, aren't they? He, he's, he's brilliant. He's great. Yeah. He's, and he's a really happy guy who's making the most of his life, and she would be so, so pleased with that. And she would be chuffed to bits that the timing of it meant that he had that opportunity. So, you know, a couple of years probably made the difference between medication and medical knowledge, meaning that he could stay well, and if he was a couple of years earlier then maybe that wouldn't be the case. When he was born, we were told that there was the, the two key milestones in his life. Six months was a critical period, getting past six months and six years. is what we were told at the time, six months and six years. In fact, he was 12 before his, his blood counts fell. We got the call from the hospital to say, now is the time to put him onto medication. Um, so we got him through to 12. But yeah, maybe if he'd been a couple of years younger, things wouldn't have worked out quite so well. She would be she would be so proud of him, yeah. 
there's the, I think maybe it, well, it must be a big part of her in him and influencing him to kind of disclose in the way that he did and to kind of live his life how he does. I mean, he comes across in the film as, as just awesome, doesn't he, Jess? Yeah. Some of that definitely comes from you, Rich, because you're also like that. And some of that must come from Millie. It does. And some of it comes from Marion, my wife now. Yes. Uh, and yeah. the life that he he's had um, since then. It's, it's all had a part to play, hasn't it? Definitely. Well, thank, I mean, thank you for being so honest and for kind of sharing your kind of story. You're welcome. I I find it really therapeutic talking about it. Well, we are really pleased that you came on and shared it so that we can share it farther and wider and more people can can hear about you and your experiences and the amazing um, disclosure. Because I, I, th- I just think, I think a lot of people would be quite inspired by that. I hope so. I hope so. Um, I would, I, I would urge everybody to disclose if they felt that they could. It's it's a huge step. I know it's a huge step, and you've got your heart in your mouth. And because once you let the cat out of the bag, you can't put it back in again. But times have moved on, and most people, I think, would perhaps not have the bad reactions that they're so fearful of. But I, I can't know that for sure, and it will be a huge decision for anybody to take. But if you surround yourself with people who know and love you and you plan it well, then you give yourself a fighting chance of, of doing it well. And once you've done it, of course, assuming it does go well, then life becomes very different. Mm. Not living a secret. A huge kind of bed and lifted, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, what we hope, is, I hope in my lifetime, HIV becomes much more acceptable and that people just disclose like they would about any other long time condition that's my hope we eradicate the stigma and it just isn't even a talking point anymore oh we've gone a long long way go back to it's a sin um and those images of patients in locked rooms in locked locked rooms in hospitals on their own and you know people walking in talk about ppe now nothing compared to the ppe that you had to put on to go into an hiv aids clinic back then so yeah it's come on a huge way already we just need to keep talking about it. I think that's why programmes like it's as in, like you were saying, Sarah, I think it suddenly brought HIV into people's living rooms, into their homes, and opened up those conversations that they might not normally be having. Yeah. That's what I think that's allowed for massively. So I hope that we see changes from that, from just these conversations that people have been having. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because one of, the, one of the consequences of HIV becoming more, more spoken about and also the medication, which means that people are, are living longer and more healthily, is that, I don't know, I get I'm really disappointed each year because World AIDS Day, to me, is is a bit of a damp squib now. Um, a few years ago, it was a big deal and there were people out selling ribbons everywhere and there were messages and there were flyers and there was information and there was stuff going on. And now it kind of passes each year almost with little or no activity at all. And I think that's a consequence of the fact that Whilst it's a big issue for the people who are living with it, it's not such a big issue for society anymore. I think you're right, yeah. We sort of remind people why to wear the ribbon and that it was the first awareness ribbon. And and ironically, we remind them in many ways of uh, what the your Jill had done and said, someone might see you wearing that ribbon today and they might not speak to you, but they'll just know 
that you know you you won't stigmatize you're in support and it's things like that that I think maybe everyone else forgets just how important that is just someone seeing that and as I understand it the attitudes amongst teenagers is very different if you read surveys they're not bothered about wearing condoms anymore oh it's not a problem because if you get it you just need to pop a pill once a day and then you're anyway so you know unintended consequences of yeah of making it something that you can live with more easily are a bit weird aren't they because all of a sudden people aren't scared of it in the same way anymore that definitely true i think we always discuss the fact we walk a really fine line between not making it too laid back like everything's fine but also not scaring people to death because there is that fine line in the middle yeah. and the scales can just tip either way depending on what messages you're putting out it's really yeah. hard yeah it is but thank you so so much for joining us we've taken you're very very welcome it's fine rich but it's been absolutely amazing thank you you're very welcome i've enjoyed it thank you Thank you for listening to HIV Hope and Charity. If you'd like to know more about our work, visit our website, tvps.org.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.